Hello, Minnesota. Welcome to the Sue Jeffers Show. I am not Sue Jeffers. My name is Rob Dorr. I'm the political director for the Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus. And uh, with me here is Brian Strasser. Oh, oh, Brian's got a good afternoon, on. everyone. There you go. Uh, Brian is the chair of the Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus and Gun Owners Political Action Committee. Uh, Stan, fantastic job with the music. Stan's in the booth there trying to keep us uh, amateurs, semi-professional, uh, as we try to fill in for Sue's very large, very capable shoes here. Uh, Sue is at a funeral uh, today, and uh, we, we wish her, her uh, our condolences for her loss and uh, hope that this show can be informational to you all and that we can uh, provide the same quality of uh, entertainment that you are used to getting on your Saturday afternoons. So today, uh, we are going to be talking a lot about guns and uh, gun rights in particular. That's our wheelhouse. That's what Brian and I do uh, on a day-to-day basis. It's uh, not our careers, but it's what uh, what we've fallen into with our responsibilities. So what we'll be talking about during the first hour here is the uh, school, the topic of school safety, primarily in response to the tragedy in Parkland, Florida last month. And then in the second hour, we'll be talking primarily about gun laws and, and gun legislation that's pending before the Minnesota legislature. Yeah, in our first hour, uh, at the bottom of the hour, we will have special guest uh, Representative Randy Jessup. He's got some legislation that deals with the topic of school safety and uh, looking forward to hearing his perspective. And uh, then in the second hour, at, uh, after the first break, we'll be joined by Representative Eric Lucero, who's got a, ver- uh, a bit of a different take on school safety, we can say. Senator, or Senator uh, Representative Lucero is carrying a bill that allows teachers to carry firearms, teachers and staff, to carry firearms in public schools uh, without requiring permission, which is what the current law says. And we'll hear more, we'll hear more from Eric, uh, Representative Lucero, about his legislation in the next er, in the second hour of the show today. All right. And if you want to be part of the show today, please dial 651-989-5855. We would love to have you on. Uh, we'll, we'll take just about any question at, at any time that we can, provided we're not interrupting our guests. And uh, we'd love to have you be part of the show. So uh, as we get into it today, I obviously, you know, what what has really reframed the conversation around uh, politics and firearms related uh, policy recently has, has been the Parkland shooting and the Parkland shooting. Yeah, as tragic as it was watching 17, uh, you know, 17 people lose their lives. What has has been unlike a lot of other. Um, other mass shootings that we have seen. Now, we know that mass shootings account for only a very, very small portion of firearms-related deaths, but the coverage of them and uh, the corresponding public reaction and public sentiment uh, because of that coverage is is widely greater, and therefore it, put, it poses unique challenges when we're down at the Capitol. This session, we expected uh, when the session started that we would be returning to what was our legislative priorities, and that was to pass stand your ground changes to Minnesota's self-defense laws and constitutional carry or permitless carry. The idea that if you're a law-abiding citizen, then you should be able to carry and carry firearms without needing government permission, without needing a government permit to be able to do so. Parkland uh, immediately derailed that legislative agenda and to some extent has put us on a little bit of defensive as we've worked through the start yeah. of the session. 
Yeah, and that and that's uh, that's been unusual because we do have Republicans in control of the House and Republicans in control of the Senate. You would naturally think that we would be able to uh, to fend off any sort of assault on the law, Second Amendment rights of law-abiding Minnesotans. Unfortunately, that hasn't been the case. Um, we have had Republicans introduce gun control bills and Republicans sign on to gun control bills. We have had Republicans uh, give very serious thought into entertaining gun control bills. And all of this because they are under tremendous pressure to do, do something. something. Hashtag do something. And, and there's a good reason for that. Um, when you look at what uh, the, the difference in the media reaction to this compared to other mass shootings, you can look and see there's something unique. There's something different about this, this incident that hasn't been present in others. If you think back to 2013 following the Sandy Hook tragedy, um, gun control advocacy groups really didn't exist. And if they did exist, they were fairly ineffective in terms of their ability to bring the grassroots, to bring large crowds, to bring real public pressure to face on legislators. That's not the case anymore. There's Moms Demand Action in every town for gun sense or gun safety, whatever they're called now, um, both of which are offshoots of a nonprofit organization founded by former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg. So they're highly funded, they're highly organized, and they were ready to go after the Parkland tragedy to exploit something that they weren't in a position to be able to exploit back in 2013. Well, we and and the the rollout of of the calls for gun control is very reminiscent to what you see for like product launches for major companies doing doing product launches. Uh, if you know when when they develop a new gizmo, they have this whole thing where there's letters, there's media, there's news stories, there there's special segments on on uh, on CNN, all of these things, and it it seems that they have kind of copied this type of model only to push a gun control agenda this time. They've been highly effective, I think, with what they've done following the tragedy down in Florida at Parkland in terms of, in, 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 as you say, almost like a product launch. They've got, they had the plan ready to go. They pulled it off the shelf and they immediately were able to start running. <clears throat> Their legislative priorities prior to this were just around the idea of universal background checks, you know, forcing a background check on private sales and around gun violence restraining orders or, being able to get a court order to take firearms from someone perceived to be dangerous by law enforcement. And I think Parkland has expanded that, maybe not their legislative agenda, but certainly what they're talking about and what we're hearing about in terms of legislation this year has expanded somewhat from before. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, as we're as we continue this discussion today, we're going to be talking about some of the really atrocious gun bills that we've seen introduced here in Minnesota. We've seen gun violence restraining orders, the, the red flag bills. We've got several different types of universal background checks bills, several different types of uh, various assault, quote unquote. I'm doing the finger quotes, uh, weapons bans, uh, even to the extent where they ban any semi-automatic firearm that accepts a detachable magazine is an assault weapon uh we've got uh bu several bump stock bands there, there's lots of stuff that uh that uh, they've been introducing we'll be talking about that uh we're first going to dive into the subject of school safety if you want to get in on the phone lines 651-989-5855 twin cities news talk am 1130 and twin cities
I tell you, if I ever have an event, I want Stan to be my DJ. Stan picks awesome music for the lead-in and lead-out on the show. They're called bumpers in the business, though, right? One day I'll remember that. <laughs> uh, well, welcome back to the Sue Jaffer Show. This is Rob Dorr and Brian Strasser over there. Uh, 651-989-5855. Again, uh, I, we are not Sue Jeffers. Sue is uh, at a funeral, and we wish her well and hope that we can bring you some high-quality entertainment uh, along this discussion about firearms and firearm-related policy today. We were talking a little bit ago before the break about this idea that the gun control groups are far more organized as grassroots organizations now than they were in the past. And I think one thing that's really stood out is Rob and I have worked on the other side of the issue for the last several years is just how well they are playing the long game. Um, if you think about the school shooting reaction, this has probably been something that's been a part of their strategy for years, waiting on the right incident to come along. Yeah, I've said it before. They've been, right. had a binder on a shelf with a post-it note on it that said, next school shooting, and, the, and now they're implementing that plan. But there, there's definitely, when it comes to politics, the idea that we want to play chess, not checkers. You want to really make the strategic move, wait for the right strategic time to make communications and move forward with the issue um, using strategy rather than just always reacting to what the other side is doing. And every town's doing an interesting job of that. Yeah, they're 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 finally. Well, I, I don't. I shouldn't say finally because I'm I'm not happy about it. But they're getting an idea of incrementalism, right? And, and that's how gun rights has been successful in the even in the midst of complete Democrat control or Democratic controlled governor. We have been successful. Both Brian and I and the Gun Owners Caucus and all of our members have been successful getting firearms related policy through we've we've gotten suppressors legalized we've uh, enacted emergency powers uh, restrictions so the the governor can't restrict carry we've got capital carry so you don't have a felony trap if you go and carry on capital property uh we we've been able to do that through that incremental approach moving the ball down the field and not moving backwards while the anti-gunners have typically kind of gone full bore typically they've gone for i want to ban everything ban everything and everything uh you know restrictions and licensing and, and registration and all of that. Uh, now we're getting a, a, to see them wise up. They, the, the, they have severely stepped up their political game, and it's proposing some interesting challenges. Um, and then uh, some of their strategies, uh, I think uh, we've got Patty here. Uh, let's see if I can do this right. All right, Patty, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you. How all are you right. doing? Wonderful. Go ahead and make your comment. I'm missing Sue. Oh, <laughs> anyway, sorry, guys. No, I'm uh, calling yeah. about the gun control. Yes. Look, you got Obama who started going out to high schools and weaponizing kids when he was in office. You got city councils that have been overrun with liberal people because conservatives and Christians just haven't bothered to run because I don't know why. They just haven't. They've kind of dropped the ball on all this stuff going back to the early 60s with Madeleine Murray O'Hare. You've got uh, a state of Minnesota who has been socialist and liberal probably since its inception because. It was settled mostly by Scandinavian countries that have socialist governments. That's a whole history in and of itself. And the bottom line is you don't even have Republicans, real Republicans, running for government in the state of Minnesota. And Tim Pawlenty is a perfect example of that. The guy couldn't have been more to the left, you know, if he'd have tried. You've got other people in the state that are calling themselves Republicans. Um, the guy in my district, Tom Emmer, even, I mean, I like Tom. He's a great guy, but even he is gone off with Keith Ellison to Cuba when Obama was in office and so on. You don't really have a lot of really good conservatives in this part of the country. And our kids all over the country have been weaponized. I mean, you just can't. 
you can't get away with it when you got Chuck Schumer and um, and some of these other people at these rallies, Bernie Sanders and so on. Hey, Patty, can you elaborate on what you mean by uh, kids being weaponized? I'm sorry, what? Could you elaborate on what you mean by kids being weaponized? I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure what that means. They're being funded by the liberal by the liberal um, liberal lunatics in the country, George Soros and different organizations like that, to uh, to get these kids to go on out and to march because they see them as a great product for the Democratic Party, and that's what I mean by weaponize. These people are marching in the streets. You couldn't get a conservative voice if you tried. I mean, when Dana Lash showed up for that town hall in Florida, that was a travesty of justice. You've got people that are espousing things that they don't even know what they're talking about. You have teachers that are overrun our colleges and our universities and our school systems. If they're conservative, they will not get, they can't even get a job a lot of times. Right, right. Five percent of all professors in the uh, country right now are are conservative. The rest are all liberal. Right. So along those lines, you know, it was was rather interesting. While I was uh, at the Capitol uh, just a couple weeks ago, we uh, gosh, time moves so slow. It was only March first. Yeah, it was March first. They, you know, they had the big day where the St. Paul public school uh, kids. Uh, walked out and marched on the Capitol, and they made this really big spectacle out of it. Uh, that that oh, look at all these kids standing up for gun violence. And I happen to be at the Capitol. I'm down there every day during session, and uh, so I I decided that I wanted to go and live stream and show what these kids are actually thinking and what they're talking about. So I go down there and I'm trying not to be too confrontational. I don't, I don't, I wanted to be able to talk to as many kids as possible without kind of being made as, as a pro gun guy so that they stop talking to me. So I just wanted to let them know, you let them talk and talk. And the vast majority of kids there had really no specific agenda while they were there. Uh, some of them said, we need gun control. Okay. Anything specific. Uh, we need to tax ammo. And I said, why? And they, she just kind of shrugged. We do. <laughs> we tax, do tax ammunition. Um, yeah. And, and other ones, uh, one kid said that he wanted, he was there to tee up. And I wasn't quite sure what that meant. And a quick trip to Urban Dictionary told me he was there to meet some lady folk. Um, that was his in, intended purpose. Some kids just flat out admitted they got out of class and, and cheered at that fact. Uh, there was one kid who really knew what he was talking about, really was on point with his agenda items. Um, and what he was doing is holding a sign that said, defend castle laws. Interesting. <laughs> uh, which, which I was like, I, I was wondering, okay, oh, great. This kid has no idea what castle laws are. So, you know, uh, let me go talk to him. This kid was brilliant. He knew it. Yeah. His name was Jacob. Uh, he knew the, the, that there were bills being introduced in the Minnesota House in order to address our uh, overburdensome duty to retreat and how to expand your protections that you enjoy within your home into other areas. He was, he was, educated he was on point and i got this all on live stream you can check it out on our facebook page at uh, gun owners caucus it's facebook.com slash gun owners mn and uh, you can see this live stream uh, with Jacob there who actually knew what he was talking about. The only one who really had any sort of agenda and knew while he was there was on our side of the issue. So was he counter-protesting the protest from within the protest? Yeah, and he was doing it really respectfully. He was off to the side a little bit, holding his sign up high. Uh, I was. Uh, it was fascinating to see that he wasn't trying to shout down other kids. He just mm-hmm. was up there making his point. Uh, he was a fantastic steward of, of, how, of the right way to make sure that you're you are still heard in a in a mob where that is counter positional to you 
the the student protest in some ways the conversations with students rather reminds me of the discussions we had with politicians on twitter and facebook the days after parkland where what we saw from the the gun control supportive politicians was commentary about how they need to do something we need to do something we need to address gun violence with new gun safety laws common sense laws whatever the saying was at the time but then when you would ask the question what does that really mean what's the what legislation or policies do you support that would have prevented the tragedy that happened in florida crickets right and that's just it is you know we know that the this particular shooter had passed a background check as have every single mass shooter in recent history barring the ones that committed a felony to acquire their firearms Mm -hmm. so when we when you say expand background checks it sounds really great it sounds yes you know i want everybody to be safe background checks for everybody but then when you start to really get into the specifics about what does that mean what does expanding background checks mean to the average law-abiding gun owner you find out that well, if if I want to loan Brian a firearm for the weekend, I have to go to a dealer, pay a fee, loan him the firearm, uh, and then when Brian's done with it, guess we what? Gotta we have do to do it again. <laughs> we got to go do it back, do it again, and get to get my gun back. Now, Brian and I, being uh, being the you know quote unquote more privileged of the class, that is a burden, but it's not a, a, an overbearing burden. Um, but if you live in North Minneapolis, right, and you don't have a vehicle, for example. There is no gun shop to go to. Yeah. Minneapolis and St. Paul have effectively zoned all gun shops out of existence. So to follow the law, if these laws were passed, you would need to take public transportation to Robbinsdale, New Brighton, Circle Pines, Bloomington. Which, which not all of them have public transportation. Which not all of them have public transportation. So it, it creates a significantly different burden if you're economically disadvantaged or a person of color living in those areas. Right. And, and so now we are talking about adding overburdensome ba- barriers, infringements on the exercise of a constitutional right. And the Second Amendment is crystal clear when it comes to infringements. You can't. <laughs> Flat out can't do it. So, yeah, that that's what we're facing. That's what we're up against. So the discussion that's gone on in in the at the legislature and with the governor in both public and private has really been about an acknowledgement that gun control legislation is very unlikely to move. It's not supported by either House or Senate leadership. Um, It's certainly not supported by the members in the House and Senate enough to override the opposition that's there. So what happens is you've had this conversation that has been between, here's what we can't do. We're not going to get any gun control done because there's not enough votes for it. It doesn't have enough support. But what we can get done is legislation around making the schools safer, about dealing with some of the threats that are out there, perhaps access to mental health care, some mental health care issues that are out there as well. Right. And uh, this, uh, the governor did make this crystal clear on his May 11th press conference. Uh, I was there in the audience. I live streamed it. You can check that out on our Facebook page. Uh, there's probably better quality videos out there too, but please visit our Facebook page anyway. Uh, that, uh, that he made it clear that he was separating the gun control agenda from the school safety agenda. And I, and I, I think part of that is he recognized the, the, the political difficulties of focusing on gun control. But, uh, you know, on a greater issue is the two are very different solutions, very different problems with very different uh, solutions. If we want to really get serious about uh, addressing firearm crime, we need to look at 
repeat criminals who are getting out and repeating crimes over and over again. Though That is the major source of where our violent crime comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we want to talk about making schools safe, that's firearms have very little to do with that policy. No, the use of firearms in public schools or school or even private schools is incredibly low when it comes to criminal activity. And incredibly so, yeah, low. And so we're gonna we're gonna talk about that a little bit more. Uh, I see we got Tim who wants to talk about gun laws. Tim, hang on through the break, please. We will get you after that. And uh, we're gonna cover some more about the school safety stuff uh, with uh, Representative Randy Jessup, who will be coming in. So, thank you very much for tuning in to Twin Cities News Talk at TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. This is Rob Dor and Brian Strasser in for Sue Jeffers. Welcome back, everybody. This is Rob Dorr and Brian Strasser. We are in for Sue Jeffers. And uh, we're covering the complex web of uh, the state of gun policy, firearm-related policy here in Minnesota following the the Parkland shooting and, and the really vigorous uh, nature of anti-gun bills that have been coming uh, into the Minnesota legislature. Uh, We will go to Tim, as promised, on line one here, talking about gun laws. Tim, go ahead. Yeah, how you doing? Thank you. One thing that I haven't heard with all these various suggestions that come around is to emphasize from the Second Amendment that the right to bear arms shall not be infringed. You know, and, and you said that a few minutes ago, which is what prompted me to call in. If, if I understand that correctly, what they mean by fringes is, you know, like there's like the, the, the meat and the center of an issue, if you will, right? But when they wrote the Second Amendment, they said, no, 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 no. You don't even get to the fringe. You don't even get to the edges of the right to bear arms. You don't, you don't, you don't infringe on it at all. To me, infringement, that means you don't even nibble at it. (laughs) You you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I got you. All these things are going to, and and anyway, that was my comment. And you hear all these suggestions that, you know, they're clearly trying to nibble at the edges. Right. All right. Thanks, Tim. That's a great point. Or uh, they're or they're just trying to take a gigantic bite out of the apple. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's it. We, we're used to them uh, trying to take the whole bite, but now they are trying to nibble, and they're trying to peel off a, a, you know, that, that... One layer at a time. One layer at a time. Those people who, who say, okay, well, that's reasonable. But I think it's worth pointing out that we all, all of us here that, and, and I'm sure Tim thinks the same way, we all believe that those, even those minor things are infringements upon the Second Amendment. But if you listen to the anti-gun legislators and the anti-gun activists, they don't think any of this is an infringement at all. Right. You'll hear from Senator Latz or uh, Representative Pinto, two of the big anti-gun bill authors, who said at press conferences within the last couple of weeks, these bills do not infringe upon the Second Amendment rights of hunters. All right. And and to this point, I kind of liken it to debating with an atheist, trying to tell, prove an atheist that that God exists. You cannot use the Bible or a religious text with an atheist because the document holds no reverence to them. Right. So, in our discussions with 
uh, or our combative discussions at times with anti-gun legislators, we can't just throw the Second Amendment on the table and say, here you go. Because they don't hold any reverence towards it. They think it's a living document. It's outdated. It only applies to muskets. You know, pick your, pick your caveat. But it doesn't matter to them. So we can tell them you're, you're disobeying your oath. We can slam our, our fists on the table and say, honor your oath. But they think they are. They think they are. And so, you know, we have to elevate the level of conversation and appeal to them on a different level. And we don't have to convince them. We don't have to. Yeah, because we can't convince them. Change their minds. What we do need to do is convince the public that they're wrong. Right. And so in our engagement with them, we need to make sure that the public knows that they're wrong, that what they are advertising isn't going to have the intended effects and that they need to kick them out of office when the time is right. Part of that too, as we've done effectively is uh, making it clear that the facts being used uh, by the anti-gun legislators and advocacy groups and activists are not accurate. Uh, For example, we, we hear all the time about the epidemic of gun violence and the epidemic of mass shootings from anti-gun legislators and activists. But the reality is over the last 25 years, that crime involving firearms, a uh, homicide involving firearms, has dropped by half, and um, uh, armed robbery and other crimes involving firearms have dropped by nearly 700 percent during that course of time. Facts that they uh, never uh, ever bring up. And and how has gun ownership and permit to carries corresponded with those? Higher than ever. <laughs> Higher than ever. We are safer than we have been in the last 30 years, probably even more than that, and. I'm not one to say correlation is causation, that we are safer because there are more firearms, although I believe that is that is part of the solution. There is a multifaceted approach that has made us safer as a society. But you will never, ever hear that from people like Representative Pinto and Senator Latz and Representative Jamie Becker Finn and others because they don't. That's not doesn't fit the narrative of what they're trying to accomplish. Right. And another thing that they like to do is you will hear the word gun violence thrown around. Now, let's be clear. When we talk about gun violence, we think we're talking about like crimes, homicide, armed Hom- robbery, gang activity, that kind of thing. Right. Assaults. We, we think we're talking about crime. When they say gun violence, what they are actually saying is anybody who is killed or injured or shot at with a gun suicide is gun violence in their vernacular and that's and that's the point us in minnesota there's usually between about 400 and 500 uh firearm related related deaths every year usually closer to the 400 mark in minnesota in minnesota yes thank you brian uh that 78 percent of those are suicides Typically, rural white men who have never had done anything in their life that would prohibit them from owning a firearm. Mm-hmm. And as I've seen you articulate uh, and argue with legislators on, even as recently as a few days ago, the strategies and legislation required to reduce suicides is vastly different. It is an entirely different public policy problem than trying to address homicides by firearm. Couldn't have said it better myself. Well, I did. So, <laughs> no, thank you, Brian. No, and that's just it. Is when we are looking at strategies, policies, anything that we can do, I don't want people killing themselves. 
I want people to live long, happy, liberty-filled lives. And anything that we can do to intercede, to help people who need that, to to help people realize their potential, to help people see that they're in a fantastic country. Yes, we have our challenges. You may have your challenges, but we're here. We're in this together. We want you to be better. We want everything to be better in your life. The more that we could do that, I want to do that. But passing a law isn't going to solve that problem. That is a that is a society thing. That is not a legislation thing. And we need to do better. And we there are some things legislatively that we can do to help families intercede, to help uh, you know, prof- mental health professionals intercede. Make sure that every person has access to uh, effective mental health care, effective, affordable mental health care. Those are things that are going to have a tangible difference on the, those suicide-related deaths. When we're talking about... Uh, Violent crime with firearms, those policies aren't going to have any effect on those. They're, they're entirely different discussions, but they only account for a small portion of our of our gun deaths. Mm-hmm. All right, looks like we have KW. KW, my uh, I don't know if we've ever met before, but we're we're certainly frequenters of uh, of uh, Twin Cities News Talk fame. So KW, happy to hear from you. Well, first of all, I'll start by saying happy St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> Thank you. Top of the morning to you. Or afternoon. Okay. Uh, okay, you know, uh, the uh, Second Amendment, those on the right who feel that uh, any legislation that infringes, that infringes, infringe upon the right to bear arms, I understand that. But those of us on the left, we feel that something needs to be done in order to reduce the frequency of violence via guns. So where do we stand? I mean, those, like I said, those on the right are entrenched in what they believe, and we on the left are entrenched in what we believe, and we can never get any meaningful uh, compromise on the table. Yeah, K- However, yeah, K- I'm going to keep you on here for just a second. You know, I, I think you have an excellent point there. Too often, both sides retreat to their corners and start yelling talking points, and mm-hmm. nothing, no, no effective conversation happens. So I, I think you got a good point there. I'm going to let you keep going, though. Okay. Then, you know, I guess at the end of the day, we as a society have come to the conclusion that the second, uh, high levels of gun violence are just a side effect of the Second Amendment. And we just, and it's been accepted as a society as a whole. All right. Thanks, KW. I, I think we did kind of just state, uh, you know, a little bit ago that Violent crime is down over fifty percent um, in the last twenty-five years. But there, there is you know, there is a point. We could potentially stop all deaths, all violent crime, if we disarmed everybody, if we kept everybody chained up, uh, if we kept them all in their own individual cells and didn't have anybody interact with each no other. No human interaction now, whatsoever. And I'm I'm being hyper, hyperbolic there, and that's kind of intentional. Is we yes, it, there there is some level of tragedy that a free society will always have to deal with, mm-hmm. and and that's you know nobody wants it. But in order to have the type of gun violence free and i'm using their terms uh gun violence free world the, we would not want to live in a country that would be needed to achieve that kind of that kind of utopia quote unquote you wouldn't like the laws and situation required to achieve that type of utopia right and and so i think kw you do have a good point that we we have an obligation to, to to discuss these and to view things uh without retreating to our corners and shouting talking points 
but we also need to be cognizant of we have liberty and sometimes there are some side effects that's not an excuse it is a reason and it's something that we can work on 651-989-5855 twin cities news talk twin cities news talk.com am 1130 uh, after the break we will have representative randy jessup to talk about some of his school safety legislation Laughed and kissed his mom and said, you're a pretty chosen man. I can shoot as quick and straight as anybody can. Welcome back to Twin Cities News Talk, the Sue Jeffers Show. I'm Rob Doerr. And I'm Brian Strouser. Yeah, that button thing. Radio amateurs here, guys. But uh, no, uh, we wish Sue well at her at her funeral, and uh, our condolences go to her. We are attempting to fill those giant liberty-filled shoes of Sue Jeffers, and uh, and uh, hope you guys are enjoying it. Hope you guys are learning something. Uh, that's that's what we're about uh, at the Gun Owners Caucus. With us, we have Representative Randy Jessup. Hello, Brian. <laughs> Hello, Rob. Representative Randy Jessup uh, is a first-term representative. And what cities do you represent, Randy? I I represent the communities of Shoreview, Arden Hills, and Moundsview. I would love to say that I live in your district, but unfortunately, I'm slightly to the south. (laughs) But my business is based in Shoreview. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Brian. All right. And uh, the reason why we asked uh, Randy to come in is Randy uh, has a bill that he has introduced. Um, you know, I see all these legislators with like 40 and 50 bills introduced. Randy's got like 16 or 17. So, But all good bills. All good bills. And uh, I, I think I appreciate somebody who, who likes quality over quantity. And when I look at Randy's bills, I see a lot of quality. Uh, this one caught our eye, though, because it addresses the very issue that we were talking about. And uh, uh, Randy, let, uh, can you let us know a little bit about House File 3676? What does it do? Sure. What we've got, Rob and Brian, is we are all focused upon school safety. And the good news is, is that you've got the legislature focused upon it. You also have the governor focused upon this. And the the legislation that I will be putting forth, and hopefully we'll get a hearing next week, um, I anticipate it was heard in the Senate actually last week, is regarding audits of our school buildings as well as um, kind of the crisis management plans that each of the schools have. And what I mean by that is if something chaotic happens at a particular school, and it could be a tornado, uh, it could be a huge snowstorm, or it could be a, like a tragedy that's that, uh, you know, unfortunately we saw last month down in Florida, is the team, whatever that team is, administrators, teachers, and so forth, have to have at least a plan in place. All right, how do we, how do we take care and protect the the children that are here, the students that are in this particular building. So what we're looking to do is appropriate some money uh, that the school districts could apply for by which they would have an independent, certified, outside organization come in and do an audit, not only of the buildings themselves, but also what's kind of the, the plans in place uh, by that team as they would confront one of these particular situations. So that's, that's what we are going to be uh, reviewing. So that yeah, that's interesting because I know a lot of schools out in Greater Minnesota, for example. I, I probably have more uh, money in my pocket than they have in spare operating revenue. <laughs> uh, and, and so, yeah, so the, your your bill would basically allow them to go and get a security audit done through through a professional company. Correct, correct, Rob. And and as as I think we 
most of us, I would say, observe is when you go from school to school, even school district to school district, we have a lot of variation in terms of schools that would be prepared for a situation like happened down in Florida, and there are other schools that are not prepared at all. We need to have a baseline uh, for all of the schools throughout the state. You know, you mentioned that, and and that really hits home with me. When when I go to my kids' school, I volunteer at at their school on a regular basis, and I look at their entryway. Yeah, they have secured entryways, but usually the, the office is wide open and all I have to do is just walk past the person at the front desk there and I have unrestricted access to the whole school. Um, so yeah, I think having a professional come in and, and look at that is, is not a, it wouldn't be a bad thing. And, and it, you know, as a taxpayer, I, I, I think one of the things that I expect our government to do, if we're, if, if our government is telling kids that they have to go to school, they better be doing everything they can to keep them safe. We did this, uh, my kids are in a uh, Catholic school, uh, and, but it was the same way. It was very open. You could walk in and there was just a little bit of control at the entrance. But myself and another security professional did our own assessment with the school's permission. And it was kind of eye opening for the, the administration, uh, to really take a look at this through a different set of eyes. So I think there's a lot of value in the bill you're bringing forward and hopefully can provide some relief to some of the school districts that need help. It, it, I think it's uh, it'll gain some traction. I had the opportunity last Monday to meet with the deputy superintendent of the Moundsview School District, and I asked him, "Hey, tell me a little bit about what you guys have in place for school safety." And their whole philosophy is really undergoing a change. Rather than everyone cower in a corner in a classroom, the strategy is now: well, if you can hide, otherwise mm-hmm. run, and third, if you have to fight. Mm-hmm. And and you think about it, and it's like, holy cow! I wouldn't have anticipated that. But we actually have some, I would say, ingenious um, ideas that are have emerged. One of which uh, a student came up with, and it's a basically a, a metal contraption you can put underneath a door. Oh, yeah, out in Wisconsin. Yeah, Yeah. hold that door completely shut. There's no way that anyone could come in. Another, um, uh, actually a constituent, she said, you know, we have fire extinguishers in, in schools. Well, fire extinguishers can be used in a rather fighting way, so to speak, <laughs> rather than just for fires. They absolutely can be used offensively. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, there are some alternatives um, that really, I, I would say, exist already within schools that could be used. And so I think this is a subject that a lot of administrators, a lot of folks that are associated with education are, are grappling with, like getting their hands around and saying, okay, how can we make our schools safer t- tomorrow than they are today? We are on with Representative Randy Jessup, representing Shoreview, Moundsview, Arden Hills, and a little bit of Spring Lake Park. And, uh, yeah, just discussing school safety. So another bill, it's, it's not, you're not the chief author, uh, chief author on it, uh, but you have signed on to it, uh, is about creating threat assessment teams. Uh, Can you talk about that a little bit? I can. I I got to hear that in committee uh, this last week. And it is a bill regarding a threat assessment team. Now, a threat assessment team would not just be composed of people within the school, but also would be composed of those in our law enforcement community within the the districts that the schools operate. Could also as well be social uh, workers and and that community from the the counties themselves. It would be integrating a number of, I, I will say, authorities will say, 
relative to school safety. And they would have the opportunity of, of coordinating quickly back and forth. If there is a troubled youth that is in the school or has been expelled from the school, we want to keep track of that particular individual and make sure that not only they can steer that individual you know to a right path but also just to make sure that there are no threats that that might uh, surface so it's a i think it's a really good bill i caught the tail end of, of the committee hearing but i know some of uh, some of my former colleagues uh, john giebel and some others testified in the hearing about their experiences with threat assessment teams in the private sector and how that's really helped to um understand threats to their organizations and employees and really deter and mitigate workplace violence and i think it has the i think their testimony was about how it will have the same application in the school setting that you see elsewhere well and even after the the capital security um committee met and discussed and they did their own security assessment so uh that that looked That's at right. looked at all of the their buildings and they had the benefit of these security assessments for their own safety mm-hmm. they too established a, a an enhanced threat assessment team so i think you know it, it's it's keeping the keeping our legislators safe, keeping our, our, our kids safe. I think they're all great priorities. So, Randy, you, uh, uh, your district, uh, you've been kind of uh, marked as uh, a bipartisan guy, as uh, trying to reach across the aisle and find, uh, find solutions to, you know, and make uncommon allies. How's your experience been in the legislature this, uh, this year, first session? Thank you, Rob. It, it has been a very positive um, experience. There are a number of pieces of legislation where I have uh, co-partnered, we'll say, with a, with a Democrat. I mean, these are not... Uh, partisan type issues. They are related to education. Um, I've done some some efforts on sexual exploitation, sexual trafficking. Um, I had one just this last week regarding uh, dyslexia and making sure that we get dyslexia screening occurring for kindergartners. We need to catch that very quickly for the, uh, the students' development. So I have been able to reach across the aisle, Rob. I think all of my life my goal has been to work with others towards collaborative solutions and I say collaborative because I think in most cases you can go ahead and you can get win-wins and and that's really where I've I've been focused so it's it's been beneficial and um, you know I know we can dive into the gun issues but quite honestly if we've got focus on both sides that yes we've got to do some things on school safety then let's go there and let's get those things accomplished in this session excellent so any other pieces of legislation that uh, that you're you're kind of championing down at the capitol sure one other one i i shouldn't spend a lot of time but um we had this governor's line item veto the supreme court ruled part of that ruling when they ruled in favor of the governor's line item veto was they said the judicial branch does not have the constitutional authority to fund government. If you think back to the last time in 2011 we had a state shutdown uh, that lasted for about 20 days, it was a really dark day for all Minnesotans. And Ramsey County Court actually stepped in and funded some essential services. What the Supreme Court has said this last fall is that won't happen again. And so we really need a backup plan. We need something as a stopgap, and I'm putting forth some legislation that would keep the government operating in case we ever had a scenario like that occur again. Oh, excellent. All right. Uh, Representative Randy Jessup, where can people go to find out more about you if they want to uh, help you out? I assume you're running for re-election. I certainly am. Uh, You may go for for helping me out as Randy for 42A. 
Okay, that would be the website that we have. Dot com, Randy for 42A.com. Randy for 42A.com. All right, Representative Randy Jessup, thank you so much for joining in and uh, being part of the conversation. And thank you so much for the solutions you're offering down at the Capitol. So uh, it's it's great to have some some reasonable, level-headed people there trying to find solutions when, when there's a whole lot of fighting. All right, 651-989-5855. I'm Rob Doerr. That's Brian Strasser. And uh, please join us, Twin Cities News Talk, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com.